The coronavirus pandemic has forced all sorts of businesses in San Diego County to adapt, shift, and change. On this episode of our podcast, we talk about how one downtown San Diego bar has done just that over the past few months with some innovation and ice cream. Metal Bar and Restaurant on Fifth Avenue began infusing alcohol into homemade ice cream and the results have been pretty sweet for the Gaslamp Bar. The idea has expanded into a full-fledged creamery offering 32 flavors, which has really helped to boost business. To talk about the bar's cool pivot, we're joined by Metal Bar and Restaurant co-owner Jenna Elskamp. So if you're eating eight ounces of Negroni ice cream, you're getting about an average of one and a half to two ounces of alcohol in that ice cream that you're eating. Also on this episode, we touch on a couple of beloved San Diego bars that haven't been so lucky in recent months, bars that have had to close due to the impacts of the pandemic. You are listening to our Scene in San Diego podcast. Hi, Candice. Hi, Monica. Hi, it's good to see you. I know it's a virtual, but... I always enjoy just getting a chance to hang out. Me too. Yeah. How you doing? Everything okay? I'm good. I'm good. It's a new day. How are you? Doing well. I'm really excited um, for this episode because I think you know how much I love ice cream. So <laughs> I'm really excited to talk with you today about a little pandemic success story, if you will. And, and we really need those sometimes, right? We so do. So this one's all about ice cream, which makes it even better. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this place. It's called Metal Bar and Restaurant, and it's in the Gaslamp Quarter. So the bar is owned by local hospitality veterans, Jenna and Randy Camp. They've owned it for about a year. Uh, and back in mid-March, as the pandemic reached San Diego County, the restaurant portion of Metal was forced to close due to COVID-19 restrictions. But the bar stayed open and just shifted to takeout mode. And they also started a free meal program there at Metal for unemployed San Diegans, and they relied on some of the liquor brands that the bar was working with to donate meals to the community. And then one day, an idea for this ice cream line at Metal came into play. Yeah, well, you know, with with plenty of spirits on hand, the else camps just figured, you know, if we're going to make ice cream, might as well put booze in it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so they had had mezcal infused ice cream on the restaurant's menu since the restaurant opened late last year. But Jenna and Randy decided it was time to expand their ice cream offerings. So in May, they got to work just, you know, figuring out a few other types of flavors. You know, Jenna told me it really all started as a way to take her mind off of the stressful times. And I think we've all turned to various cooking projects to distract <laughs> us during the pandemic. That's right. <laughs> uh, so over the last eight or so months, it's really become so much more for them, you know, a lifeline for their bar and restaurant, really. Yeah. And we'll talk all about that. And uh, I just want to say I always knew ice cream had superpowers. So <laughs> this might be one of those stories to prove that. Um, so by summer, the ice cream menu at Metal had grown to 32 flavors, as we mentioned earlier, um, including riffs on popular drinks like the White Russian and Mudslide. And the line is now branded as Metal Cocktail Creamery. The pivot has really helped to, you know, boost the bar sales. In addition to pints, they're now selling ice cream cakes and sundaes, sandwiches, and even push pops. So they've really run with this idea and may continue to do so for their businesses, just long-term strategy. 
All right. So metal bar and restaurant owner Jenna Elkscamp joined our podcast this week to talk all about her shift to booze ice cream making. So let's roll into that conversation. Thank you so much, Jenna, for joining us today. We really appreciate sure, thank it. Thank you for inviting me. You said we're very excited to talk about ice cream any day, time, place. It doesn't matter. We're just excited to talk about ice cream. <laughs> I know. We, we really wanted to have you on to sort of talk about how you found this way to sort of boost your business, you know, in a pretty delicious way, despite you know, the hospitality industry being so impacted by the pandemic with bars sort of having a particularly difficult time right now? For me, you know, when we opened, like we opened only a few months before COVID hit and we just were kind of opening to be just like a neighborhood bar and have live music and and really focus more on that. And obviously COVID changed everything in that, in that realm. Um, so we really had to focus on how do we get people to still come down here when we don't have a lot of people who live in this area. And obviously it's very tourist dependent and, um, you know, just trying to find a niche just to, you know, help us hang on with what we had so we didn't lose everything was just kind of where, where that all bloomed from. Can you tell us a little bit, Jenna, about how you started making ice cream and how it turned into a full-fledged creamery? We, sure. we know of the fun story about the cup kind of inspiring the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it really all goes back to, um, I don't know, like five or six years ago. Um, so in San Diego, there, in our industry, there had always uh, had been, or at least for a few years, I guess, before I came along, there was, um, Fernet was sponsoring Fernet Tattoos. And it was just kind of a thing that you got voted in by other bartenders that already had them. And every year they gave away so many and it kind of escalated every year. And by the time I got to the year where someone nominated me, they added a cocktail competition onto it. And that was never part of it before. Um, So all of a sudden I was like nominated, but I had to come up with a cocktail and I really didn't want to do a cocktail. Um, So I just started thinking about ice cream and I'd already just been making regular ice cream. And I was like, what if I do like a Fernet ice cream and then you could put it in a Coca-Cola. So it'd be like Fernet and Coke, which is a very standard, you know, way to drink. And so I just experimented with making a, an infused uh, Fernet ice cream and it went over like really, really well. I ended up not having to do the competition part, but everyone got to try the ice cream and um, everyone loved it so much. We ended up just putting it on our menu at the restaurant I was managing at that time. And so we had that for years and years. And then when we switched over to metal, um, my husband loves peanut butter and mezcal. So we switched that to a peanut butter mezcal ice cream. And we had that on the menu at the time COVID hit. It was just came with like a chocolate tart. Wasn't like, you know, we weren't making a big deal about it. And that's when COVID hit was when we got the cups and we just decided to start making different flavors besides just the peanut butter. Is it hard to sort of make, you know, create the ice cream and create the flavors and make sure they really, you know, taste like the drink that they're supposed to represent? Um, I mean, I don't say it's really hard. I mean, there's definitely some time involved. 
Um, but I feel like it translates over pretty easily, even if you just use sometimes the same spec. So when we do like a Negroni ice cream, we're using the same exact equal part specs as we would do, um, you know, for a cocktail, we're just adding all the ice cream, the custard base into it as well. Um, so everything, I mean, I kind of play around with different things. Um, I usually make a batch and then I don't taste until the very end and then I can kind of tell like does it need a little bit more sugar is it too boozy um and so the first few months where we were doing it it was all experimental I was just kind of like selling them in little cups and it was mostly just industry people who were still working in the neighborhood that would come by and we were basically like selling it at cost at first and just you know just to get it out there and it was just giving me a really good creative outlet to try out new things and so yeah by the time we got to the point where I was turning it in. We realized it was kind of a business. I had gotten the base down to a certain base for everything instead of different ones. And then we just add the flavors and the alcohol and stuff into them. That's really cool. That's a lot of willpower, Jenna, to not taste it until you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's really strange. Like I, I love desserts, but I rarely eat my own ice cream. And um, yeah, everyone's, everyone who works for me, including my husband, eats all the ice cream and he's not a sweets person, but you know, all the time I catch him eating other flavors too. So, um, you know, it, it's just really strange thing that, yeah, I just don't ever sit down and eat it. It's just, I don't know why. Um, but I think it's just like, maybe I have to do that for myself. Otherwise I would yeah. just eat it all the time. And then I would never stop. I would just, you, know. you got to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you mentioned, so you're using the same specs as you would for creating a cocktail. Um, mm -hmm. But is the ice cream as strong as a drink? And you mentioned sugar is helping you balance it out. How, how do you balance out the booze in a scoop of ice cream? Um, well, the, I, I use in 90% in of the ice creams that I make, I use a custard base, which has eggs and heavy cream in it. And there's definitely something about that that really tapers the taste of alcohol. So it is each, each serving is the same amount of alcohol as you would have gotten in that cocktail. So if you're eating eight ounces of Negroni ice cream, you're getting about an average of one and a half to two ounces of alcohol in that ice cream that you're eating. The reason it doesn't taste as strong is because the, um, I guess it would be the fats and stuff that coat your tongue while you're eating the ice cream because it's such a thick, rich ice cream that it really kind of tapers off that flavor. I have noticed with like vegan flavors and there are a couple we don't use any eggs. You can definitely taste the alcohol more. What's been your best-selling flavor so far or something that you're really proud of creating? I mean, I definitely would say white Russian Oreo is by far our biggest selling. And it was not even in the realm of the first flavors that I came out with. I mean, in the beginning, I was definitely doing more cocktail-based ice creams and, um, you know, things that are, I guess, more craft cocktail and not staying away from sort of kind of the stereotypical ice uh, cocktail flavors like mudslides and white Russians and the things that you would think would go in an ice cream easily. Um, but once we did that one, we teamed up with um, Mr. Black um, Coffee Liqueur and we did it for them. And it has by far been our biggest selling. I would say probably mudslide is next to that. But, um, you know, we also have a, probably a handful of other flavors that sell almost as well. Um, but for me, I would say, like, I'm the most proud of ones like the Elote that I did, which to me is like a savory ice cream of sorts. It's still sweet, 
but it has cilantro and tahini and a little cotija cheese on it. And I mean, I've had people tell me if I went on chopped and had come up with that, I would have won based just slowly on that ice cream. It's not for everyone. But, you know, I mean, to me, that's the really creative aspect where you're kind of doing something totally different Mm -hmm. and it works. That sounds delicious. It does sound really good. (laughs) (laughs) So, Um, yeah, it's like a a sweet corn ice cream. And then just like on top, you're getting all that kind of spicy, flavorful from the herbs and the cheese and a little saltiness. And then you get down in it and then you're just getting that nice, like sweet corn ice cream. So, it's different, um, you know, but people who like it love it. And so those things I like, like, and then like black sesame um, that we did with like Japanese whiskey, that one's also really, you know, those, those are like the more creative ones are the ones that I guess I'm more proud of. Yeah. I have to come get some of that because I, I adopted a cat, a black cat, and his name is Sesame. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe Sesame needs a lick of that too, Candice. Like a little tiny... <laughs> That's awesome. So um, you mentioned working with different liquor brands too, Jenna, on top of supplementing your business with the creamery aspect of metal, um, which is great. You know, is it also another way to support local liquor brands? And, and Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that that in part was kind of where it all that came together because, you know, COVID hit and we have so many friends who are reps for brands and, you know, or work for distributors. And they're still like at first, especially still trying to keep their jobs going and, and get some numbers. And, you know, for them, it was a way for them to get their product out there and another way for them to show that, you know, they're making a difference. And, you know, they would give you like a sample of the product to, to experiment with the batch. And then obviously it helps their sales when we, you know, we're ordering it. But we have really, um, we have some local distilleries here that we're good friends with. And we really wanted to make an effort to help them out, um, like Old Harbor Distilling. Um, we do a lot of ice creams with them. But now that we're taking on kind of a wholesale aspect, we are talking to different distilleries because we need to team up with someone in order for us to go into wholesale. We need someone who already has that licensing or it's going to take a long time and cost for us to um, to really take the business to the next level. So we are in talks with a few people around town um, that we are going to probably team up with. And then we'll mostly be probably switching to the majority of their their liquor to uh, to get this thing rolling out. You mentioned that, you know, you, you guys would like to open a separate production space, you know, mm-hmm. that was dedicated to the creamery and have its own retail space. Have you made any sort of progress on that? We have. I mean, we've, um, we have talked to some, we've talked to lawyers and stuff and we figured out like legally how we can do it. And it's very difficult. And there's a reason no one has done it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because you cannot, right now we're doing it. We can do it because of COVID. They've let, you know, retail businesses sell outside of their establishment. But basically if we open an ice cream shop, it would have to just solely be an ice cream shop and we wouldn't be able to sell ice cream to go. You would have to come there and eat it. Um, What we have to do is basically turn our company into a wholesale company and then sell it back to ourselves in order for us to sell it. So um, we're working through that right now. And that's why we're trying to partner up with that's see if we can partner with the distillery who already has all that licensing that we need. And then we can, um, 
be able to figure out the best way to take it once COVID changes and the laws go back. I mean, some people are trying to fight to keep them the same, but mm-hmm. I don't know that that's, you know, realistically going to happen. Um, so, so yeah, so we're trying to figure all those loopholes out right now. It's definitely, you know, but I'm also waiting until January because I made a decision that this year has just been far too crazy to really do any kind of real plan making. Um, so I want to see how things kind of wash out in January before we, Right. you know, move too forward, but we are making the plans and we're, we, we have someone we think is going to work out. So we're hoping by early next year, we'll be able to really start a wholesale production part of the cocktail creamery. That's great. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Beyond the wholesale, I mean, when you, when you're able to get set up with that, what else, how would you like to sort of see the business grow both locally and nationally do you you want to go into you know expand your retail do you want to you know try to do things online sort of have you thought far enough I mean we um we do want to you know get to basically have like a a license where we can sell out of out of a space and there we can also do it online and we can you know join something like gold belly but really what i we've had so much interest in other um restaurant groups and um bars and stuff that want to sell it and there's a whole wholesale like catering type aspect of it that i think is is really where i'd like to focus on at first Mm -hmm. and then just being able to distribute it locally and within california at different stores would be is kind of ideally where i think that it has the most potential um you know i wish the laws were a little easier for us to sell it we basically what we have what we have to do is open like a liquor store to sell ice cream to go Mm -hmm. because once you put liquor in a product it's basically like selling a canned cocktail so Mm -hmm. that's really where you have to kind of go with that mentality it doesn't seem like it because it's ice cream but you know one the food aspect of it goes right out the window once you start putting liquor and things so um I do, I really do feel like, yeah, absolutely wholesale into different um, stores locally and within California is kind of where we're trying to focus right now. Mm -hmm. And we have like distributorship that we can work with because we have, we know so many people from liquor stores and, um, you know, different stores around town because of all the people we know in our business. So that's a very easy place for us to know that we can get it out into market and then, you know, trying to take on the big boys, like, you know, the Whole Foods and things like that. I mean, that's that's so much further down the road for me because I know how little profit margin and how much you have to come up with in advance to, um, you know, stop inventory just to, like, do something like that. So would you maybe have to and then also sort of, like, simplify or drill down because now you're doing, like, oh, yeah. sandwiches and you're doing the yes. push tops and We, yeah. We definitely realize, like, you know, at most, we're probably going to have to start with, like, eight flavors that we wholesale and we'll pick out, you know, obviously our top selling flavors. And then the other flavors we'll only be able to sell, like, in our restaurant Mm -hmm. for the time being. Um, But, yes, I mean, and that's not a problem because, obviously, there's there's definitely, like, eight to ten flavors that sell by far faster than anything else. but yeah, so we would, we would turn that down and probably just go with pints. Um, the push pops and the ice cream cones and stuff and the sandwiches are a little harder packaging in that mm-hmm. kind of market. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's so used to just going to the store and looking at a pint 
of ice cream. Um, so we would definitely start there and then see if we could expand it. But the push pops, we sell them like crazy. People love them because you don't see a lot of that. And it's just an easy way to have a little, a little snack of ice cream and you can walk around with it. And it's, yeah. you know, yeah. easy. And probably brings a lot of people back to, to childhood, you know, except for you're yeah. like, I'm sneaking a little booze here too, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's like where I came up with it because I, like I told Candace, like when I was a kid, we lived in the country and we only had like Schwann's. They would come in, like come to your house and they had the frozen trucks and they would deliver food. And one thing they always had were like these creamsicle push pops. And so when I was thinking of different like vehicles, because I wanted to do something smaller where people could try the ice cream before they bought like a whole pint of it. Yeah. Um, and instead of trying to make like an ice cream bar or whatever, I was like, what about push pops? And then, um, yeah, I just, I thought that would be a great, so I got a couple and it really worked really well. And so now it's been, you know, a big seller for us. And we named them cocktail liquors, obviously you can see from my shirt, um, which we thought was, you know, we <laughs> wanted to do something a little, like give it a little marketing name. Um, so, you know, to try to get it out there a little bit more. So it's been, it's been pretty successful for us. Well, it's pretty incredible, Jenna, um, what you guys have been able to do in, in six months, you know, in the middle of this craziness that has been 2020. Um, do you think there's ever going to be a point where you completely shift your focus to the creamery? I mean, maybe a little bit off of the restaurant more toward the creamery. I mean, it just, you know. I would definitely love that. I think, you know, my husband and I would both love that. Obviously, you know, we love the restaurant business and, um, you know, taking one on yourself is, is, it's a lot. There's a lot of different aspects to it. And I definitely don't feel like our industry will ever be the same after COVID. Um, so, you know, if we can take this to something where it is a big enough business for us that we can take us into retirement, which is the only reason we started the bar in the first place, <laughs> was uh, would be great. And ideally, yes, we would love to just be able to grow it wholesale and just take it to that level. And then, you know, obviously maybe have like a store or two that we sell it out of. But, yeah. you know, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, working, I mean, right now we're working 24 seven. So I don't hope to plan to do that for the rest of my life. <laughs> <You know? laughs> You need a break. Yeah, I, I could use one of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still, it's, I think for me, like when COVID happened and everyone was just having a meltdown, I almost feel like I was more stressed before because at that point we'd only been open three months and everything was in our laps and everything was our fault and our responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. The yeah. COVID happened and it takes all of that. You have no control, right? It has nothing to do with, what you're doing or how you do it, everything is out of your hands. And for me, I think like I just adapted right to that right away. And we just turned our business. We were like, okay, you know, brands want to donate some money. So let's just give away free meals and we'll just do to go and we'll just work and we'll just see, we'll just keep going until we can't go anymore. And so we just had that positive attitude about it. And I think that positivity and just like not stressing really helped develop this other way of continuing our business on. Um, and then it just definitely gave me that creative outlet of something to look forward to every day, because instead of focusing on all this negativity and fear and everything that was going on, I was, you know, back there like, Oh, what if we did this? And Oh, you know, it would be really great. What if we put these two things together? And so, yeah. you know, for me that, that really saved me from probably going down a major depression hole and like really stressing out about losing everything. Um, 
So we were just lucky enough that it turned out pretty good and people liked it and it just kind of, and it, and it put us on social media and it got people out there cause you know, talking about it and that kind of did that like, you know, homespun like thread where it just grew from there mm-hmm. and people were just finding out about it cause they were just seeing it on people's Instagram stories and stuff. So, so sorry to bring it down a little, but can we can we talk a little bit about sort of the what you see as the future of your industry and you know bars that haven't been able like you to yeah. sort of find something an, a different channel? I mean, it, it's it's honestly it's so heartbreaking every day we see another place that we've loved. Especially what's been really hard is on our music venues and our like old school dive bars and places that didn't have food because if you didn't have food it you didn't have a way to really carry on Mm -hmm. and you know trying to bring a food truck and I mean some of these places are so small and they don't have any outside seating and they didn't have a way to keep going and I'm so fearful and we're seeing it every day like bar pink and blonde bar and um, more and more places even Winston's is saying they don't know if they're going to come back all of these music venues and kind of what we open to be a focus on because those are the kind of places we love as patrons. Those are the places we always felt the most comfortable and we wanted to build that sort of place. And we were just fortunate enough that we bought a place that had a food license and already had the ability to have a kitchen and to carry on. But so many of these other places don't. And what I really see is that all of these corporate businesses that actually have some money, um, still in all of this are able to come in and swoop all of these bars up for a really good deal. And we're not going to have any of these, you know, so-called dive bars, but places that are different that aren't, you know, corporate run and aren't. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then everything becomes kind of generic and the same. And that's when I'm fearful. And I think everybody in our industry is that we're going to lose, um, you know, so many of these places will never be able to recover and there's no choice but for somebody new to come in. So we're losing all of that, these places. And that, that's the saddest part. I think the restaurant part of the business will rebound because people still are always going to want to go out and eat. And you can see that now, even with COVID. I mean, we're lucky that we live in a town where pretty much every day of the year, it's comfortable to sit outside and have a meal. Um, you know, other places aren't that fortunate, but... Yeah, I mean, it's sad. It's really sad. And it's heartbreaking, especially when we watch friends. And we're not saying we could still happen to us. I say that every day when people ask how we're doing. I say we're okay right now. But we don't know what the future holds. And we don't know how much worse this could get before it gets better. So we're just trying to take it day to day. Yeah. Jenna, I know for you, you know, being creative and finding this ice cream kind of sweet spot in the whole, mm-hmm. you know, thick of things um, really helped you. What advice would you give to other bars that are trying to stay afloat? You know, I know you guys did like a, a meal giveaway, you know, that mm-hmm. probably made you feel really close to the community and, and those. Yeah, I mean, that definitely for me, that part of it, that means giving back and doing something positive when all that was going on. That's that really saved me. That made me feel so good about what we were doing that it didn't even matter if we weren't making a profit. It didn't matter what would happen in the long run. We just knew we were helping people and that meant everything in the world to us. Like we just wanted to be there to take care of these people that, you know, hadn't prepared. Nobody ever dreamed in their wildest imagination that this is what would happen. I mean, you hear about these kind of things, but you don't think in America, right? Like 
a global pandemic is going to shut the whole country down for almost a year now. And it's probably going to be two years before we get back to like any sort of normalcy where everybody's not walking around wearing masks every day. Um, so, you know, no one was really prepared in our industry, probably more than anyone, because, you know, we're an industry full of the people who are dreamers and travelers and, and don't want to live that life where we have to be locked down to a job 24 seven. I think a lot of the reason people get into the restaurant business is because they know they can take time off to travel and someone will work and you can always move your schedule around and you don't have to be set to a nine to five Monday through Friday type of job. It gives you some more flexibility. And in that you have people who aren't financially prepared. You have a lot of younger people who all of a sudden were living, you know, day to day paid to, you know, tips to tips for going to work who had nothing. And so, you know, being able to at least give those people a free meal and help them feel a little bit better. And even then they just come by and they can just talk to someone for two minutes across the bar from seven feet away that, you know, they've been trapped in their house for like a month now. That gave for a lot for a lot of people because we were the only people they were seeing, you know. Mm. And, you know, that, that helped me and Randy for sure, you know, keep, keep some positive outlook of life. All right. So we we loved hearing Jenna's story. We love that there's a success story coming out of metal and the way that they've been able to shift to, you know, a new way to have their business run and work in the COVID times. But, you know, while some San Diego bars and restaurants continue to find ways to shift their business strategies during the pandemic, the reality is not every spot can or will survive all of this. A few well-known bars have recently shuttered due to the pandemic, and this includes Martinis Above 4th in Hillcrest, Bar Pink in North Park, and Winston's in Ocean Beach, which is at least closed for the foreseeable future. Martinis Above 4th was a restaurant and a live music venue nestled on the second floor of a building on 4th Avenue. It closed early last month, with the owners saying that there was simply no viable path forward for the business. Martinis had been around for more than 10 years, and that venue was interesting because it hosted all kinds of acts from musicians and Broadway singers to stand-up comics. It was a pretty special place for a pretty special community, I would say. And then over in North Park, sadly, Bar Pink on 30th Street announced it was permanently closing back in mid-October. It had been struggling to survive the extreme financial hardships that came with pandemic closures and restrictions for seven months. And like metal, the bar also hosted live music performances, which are not allowed right now. Yeah, so Bar Pink was a big one. I know a lot of our readers were um, super sad with that one. And and Bar Pink had tried. They tried to sell to-go cocktails to survive, but sadly, it just wasn't enough to make it. And that spot was part of the fabric of North Park for more than a dozen years, a really popular bar for people to hop over to, maybe between concerts at the observatory, which is nearby. And uh, who can forget the bright pink walls behind the bar? So pink. I know that a lot of people are going to miss just just the vibe of that place. Yeah, and all the elephants they had on the wall and all over yeah. the bar. Uh, so over in Obi, it sounds like Winston's Beach Club is also shutting down operations, at least for now. That bar and live music venue has also been facing a lot of challenges due to pandemic shutdowns. Its last day in business was November 8th. 
And this was a big blow for the OB community. I mean, Winston's had been part of the scene there uh, since 1987, and it had been hosting local and touring bands pretty much seven nights a week. Um, They are still live streaming some of those shows. And we have the full story on Winston's on NBC7.com. And we also have a bigger story just about San Diego's shuttered live music and bar venues. And if they'll really be able to survive the pandemic, Again, you know, in-person concerts are still not allowed in San Diego County, so um, those venues are are really struggling, and it's it's just really still very tough for for a lot of the businesses that make up our San Diego entertainment scene. So we're recording this on the very day that we're set to find out if San Diego's case rate will land our county in California's most restrictive COVID-19 tier, and that's the purple tier. This shift will impact restrictions on local businesses, including restaurants. That's right. We've been in the red tier for a while. And for restaurants, that is, this has meant that they can operate indoor dining with modifications, including at 25% capacity or 100 people, whichever is fewer. But that's all going to change in the purple tier. In that tier, restaurants will have to end indoor dining and can only operate with outdoor dining. And of course, they can continue their takeout and delivery options. But, you know, with the colder months ahead, like that storm we just had a few days ago in San Diego, outdoor dining is going to become a bit more challenging for our local restaurants. And it's just going to be one of those things that we're going to have to keep a close eye on, um, you know. It's going to be hard. It's it's going to be hard to go back, but, you know, hopefully it's a mild winter and our local restaurant scene can weather this. On November 10th, California health officials determined that San Diego County would slide into the purple tier, the state's most restrictive tier, based on the county's rising COVID-19 case rate. This move into purple will mean more rollbacks and restrictions for many industries, including restaurants. The restrictions on indoor dining that Candace and I talked about will go into effect at midnight on November 14th and will last at least three weeks. We will keep a close eye on this and we'll share any updates next time we get together for our podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us again. We've covered many of the stories we mentioned today in our Eater San Diego and NBC7 roundups, which publish every Friday on the scene section of NBC7.com. You can find those by searching Eater San Diego. You can also find everything we talked about today in our podcast show notes article, also on NBC7.com, and you can find an article on SanDiego.Eater.com. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe to Scene in San Diego on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. We'll talk again soon.